Section 36 of Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jen Raimundo. Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1, by John Calvin. Translated by Rev. John Pringle. 1 Corinthians, Chapter 7, Verses 25-28 through 28. Now, concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment, as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord, to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say, that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. Verse 25. Concerning virgins. He now returns to treat of marriage, of which he had begun to speak in the commencement of the chapter. What he is now about to state, he had previously touched upon, but briefly and somewhat obscurely. He accordingly intimates more explicitly what his views are respecting virginity, but as it is a matter that is liable to be misapprehended, and is full of difficulties, he always speaks, as we shall see, conditionally. Virgins here I understand as meaning virginity. As to this, he says, he has no commandment of the Lord, because the Lord does not in any part of the scriptures declare what persons ought to remain unmarried. Nay, on the contrary, inasmuch as the scripture says that male and female were created together, Genesis chapter 2 verse 21, it seems as if it called every one equally and without exception to marriage. At least celibacy is nowhere enjoyed upon anyone, or commended. He says that he gives advice, not as if there were anything doubtful in it, and had little or no stability, but as being certain, and deserving to be maintained without any controversy. The word, too, that he employs signifies not merely advice, but a decisive judgment. Papists, however, rashly infer from this that it is allowable to go beyond the limits of God's word, since nothing was farther from Paul's intention than to go beyond the limits of God's word. For if anyone attends more closely, he will see that Paul here advances nothing but what is included in what Christ says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, and chapter 19, verse 5. But in the way of anticipating an objection, he acknowledges that he has no express precept in the law, pointing out who ought to marry and who not. Having obtained mercy to be faithful. He secures authority for his decision, that no one may think himself at liberty to reject it if he chooses. For he declares that he does not speak simply as a man, but as a faithful teacher of the church and an apostle of Christ. According to his custom, he declares himself to be indebted for this to the mercy of God, as it was no common honor, nay superior to all human merits. Hence it appears that whatever things have been introduced into the church by human authority have nothing in common with this advice of Paul. But faithful here means truthful, one who does not do what he does merely from pious zeal, but is also endowed with knowledge, so as to teach with purity and faithfulness. For it is not enough for a teacher to be conscientious, if he has not also prudence and acquaintance with the truth. Verse 26. I think, therefore, that this is good. While I translate this passage of Paul's writings differently from Erasmus or the Vulgate, I at the same time do not differ from them as to its meaning. They divide Paul's words in such a way that the same thing is repeated twice. 
I, on the other hand, make it simply one proposition, and not without authority, for I follow ancient and approved manuscripts, which make it all one sentence, with merely a colon between. The meaning is this. I think it expedient on account of the necessity with which the saints are always harassed in this life, that all should enjoy the liberty and advantage of celibacy, as this would be of advantage to them. There are some, however, that view the term necessity as referring to the age of the apostle, which was undoubtedly full of trouble to the pious. But he appears to me to have had it rather in view to express the disquietude with which the saints are incessantly harassed in the present life. I view it, therefore, as extending to all ages, and I understand it in this way, that the saints are often in this world driven hither and thither, and are exposed to many and various tempests, so that their condition appears to be unsuitable for marriage. The phrase, so to be, signifies to remain unmarried, or to abstain from marriage. Verse 27. Art thou bound to a wife? Having stated what would be most advantageous, he adds, at the same time, that we ought not to be so much influenced by the advantages of celibacy, that one that is bound by the tie of marriage should shake off the connection. It is therefore a restriction upon the preceding statement, lest any one, influenced by his commendation of celibacy, should turn his thoughts to it and despise marriage, forgetful of his necessity or of his calling. Now in these words he does not merely forbid the breaking up of the connection of marriage, but also represses the dislikes that are wont to creep in, that every one may continue to live with his wife willingly and cheerfully. Art thou loosed from a wife? This second clause must be taken with a reservation, as is manifest from the entire context. He does not then allow to all the choice of perpetual celibacy, but only to those to whom it is given. Let no one, therefore, who is not constrained by any necessity, rashly ensnare himself, for liberty ought not to be lightly thrown away. Verse 28. But if thou shouldst Stephen marry... As there was a danger of one's thinking from the preceding statement that he tempted God, if he knowingly and willingly bound himself to marriage, as that would be to renounce his liberty, he removes this scruple, for he gives liberty to widows to marry, and says that those that marry do not sin. The word even also seems to be emphatic, to intimate that even though there be no positive necessity urging to it, the unmarried are not prohibited from marrying whenever they may see fit. And if a virgin marry... Whether this is an amplification or simply an illustration, this, in the first place, is beyond all controversy, that Paul designed to extend the liberty of marriage to all. Those who think that it is an amplification are led to think so by this, that it seems to approach nearer to a fault, and is more open to reprehension, or at least has more occasion of shame, to loose the virgin girdle, as the ancients express themselves, than upon the death of a husband to enter into a second marriage. The argument then would be this. If it is lawful for a virgin to marry, much more may widows. I am rather of the opinion that he makes both equal in this way. As it is allowable for a virgin, so it is for widows also. For second marriages among the ancients were not without some mark of reproach, as they adorned those matrons who had contented themselves with one marriage during their whole life, with a chaplet of chastity, an honor that tended to reflect reproach upon those that had married repeatedly. And it is a well-known saying of Valerius that it betokens a legitimate excess when a second marriage is desired. The apostle, therefore, makes virgins and widows alike as to liberty of marriage. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. He frequently repeats the reason why he leans more to the side of celibacy in his exhortations, lest he should seem to prefer the one condition to the other on its own account, rather than on account of its consequences. 
he says that there are many troubles that are connected with the married life and that on that account he wishes all to be free from marriage who desire to be exempt from troubles when he says that they will have trouble of the flesh or in the flesh he means that the anxieties and distresses in which married persons are involved arise from the affairs of the world the flesh therefore is taken here to mean the outward man to spare means to indulge or to wish them to be exempted from the troubles that are connected with marriage i am desirous to make provision for your infirmity that you may not have trouble now marriage brings with it many troubles this is the reason why i should wish you not to require to marry that you may be exempt from all its evils do not however infer from this that paul reckons marriage to be a necessary evil for those troubles of which he speaks do not arise so much from the nature of marriage as from the corruption of it for they are the fruits of original sin end of section thirty six recording by general mundo